politicians are the virus. Yeah, man, maybe I am dumb. You think you're free? You think you're free just because you can't see the cage they keep you in? Fauci jerked off a pangolin, and now we all have COVID. It's us against them, guys. Get out there and spread that love and liberty. Let's go. Thank you, guys. In a second, we're going to be spreading some love and liberty with powerhouse Brandon Tatum. He's got a massive audience because people gravitate to him because dude is as real as they come. You know, he's he's kind of like the dad like that. I'm pretty GD genuine, too, but I'm just not quite as likable as that guy. I'm not. Some people like me. Some people don't. I'm not for everybody. So my audience ain't in the millions yet, but we had 70K and that's pretty good. 70K is pretty good. I'm happy with that. Someday we'll be in the millions like Brandon. Anyway, guys, how do you like my glasses? Huh? I need them for the intro because I got to read the intro to Brandon and, and uh, daddy's eyes. They just don't work no more. Aging sucks. People aging sucks. Stay young forever. Eat babies or drink babies' blood. Do whatever J-Lo and Tom Brady are doing to avoid aging. Um, and how you like my Fauci guy here. Pretty cool, huh? Anyway, so we're going to get into it with Brandon. He's slinging that truth dope about affirmative action, racism in the Democratic Party, the Blexit movement, and so much more. Please do not forget to subscribe and support a voice of freedom here at The Dad Presents. Subscribe to The Dad Presents on Rumble, Spotify, and Twitter. We're presently serving a two-day suspension on Twitter, but I'll be back. These mother... Mm, they can't, they keep hitting yours truly with bans and suspensions because they can't handle the truth. You can't handle the truth. Also, we're on YouTube at Super Bad Dad. This will be the first one I put up there in three weeks because we're not going to talk about David, so they won't take it down. So, guys, let's get into it with Brandon. All right, everyone, we're joined by Brandon Tatum, former police officer. He's the author of Beaten Black and Blue, one of the co-founders of Blexit, which is an exodus of black folk from the Democratic Party. He's a YouTuber with a massive following of millions of people. He's an advisor and spokesperson for KWESST, K-West. Brandon, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, thanks for having me. My pleasure. Yeah, yeah. So I guess the the first thing I want to ask you is, uh, you know, I watch your show. It's fantastic. So are you now the new blackface of white supremacy? <laughs> According to these brain dead leftists, I, I am. I'm, I'm the prominent yeah. uh, king of blackface for white supremacy. You know, these, these people are idiotic, but uh, if they want to label me that, that's fine. I mean, it, it's cool with me. I don't, I, Isn't I don't, that I don't, something, man? I don't I don't think their words mean much. <laughs> in this day and Yeah. Age. So I'm out here in California. Larry Elder ran for governor. I'm not a conservative. I'm kind of, I'm a soldier for freedom. Right. But I, I really wanted Larry. I mean, anything's better than Gavin Newsom. And the <laughs> L.A. Times smeared Elder as they literally wrote a headline, the black face of white supremacy. And that that really caught me off guard. I was like, damn, the, these people, they don't care about racism or what your skin color is. If you get in the way of their power lust, they're just going to call you a racist, even if you're black. So it's a new world. Uh, you got a massive audience. Uh, politics is different now. Have you ever considered running for office? A guy like you could probably do well. Yeah, I thought about it. You know, me and my wife talk about it and she she give me a heck no. You ain't never running for office. We'll <laughs> support people running for office because it's so nasty and grimy and 
you, you know, a person like me with such a platform, you can limit yourself to being only one vote. And so what, what we try to do is say, OK, how can we spread the message to as many people as possible without government oversight and restrictions? And also, how can we help as many people who are running for office and who can dedicate um, their lives and their families to it? So uh, we, we do our best to support candidates. We support candidates, endorse candidates. I speak for candidates. I pay money to get their campaigns. I, I pay for their videos you know, depending on who the candidate is. And um, so that's the way I can give back. But I, I thought about it, man. You know, uh, maybe one day God will uh, uh, come and sit in the front living room with me and bring me and my wife and sit us down and, and tell me I got to run for office. That's the only yeah, way yeah. I'm going to do it. So if God does it <laughs> like, in that fashion, like a personal appearance from Jesus in your living room, that's you need, what's to, you need to come through the door, <laughs> let him in. And, you know, I have some cookies yeah. set up for him or whatever you want to eat. And we got yeah. we got to have a conversation. You know, I ain't I can't just be doing it willy nilly. And one reason is because I'm not a fake person man. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to be controlled at all. You're not going to tell me what to say. I mean, you can I can have some guidance on how to promote a message most effectively, but you're not going to tell me to dumb down what I think or, or don't talk right. about homosexuality or whatever. You, you're not going to tell me what to say. I'm going to say what I feel and what I really believe. And if you don't want to vote for me, you're not going to vote for me. That may not be a winning strategy as a politician, but well, Nowadays, um, it might be. I, people are ready for realness and authenticity. I mean, I think everyone's realized that all these people, they're, they're just frauds. So it might be today. But just like, I don't agree with a lot of what you say. Um, but you're going to say what you say. You're authentic. And, and I know that when Brandon's saying something, he believes it, right? And, and, and that's important to, to believe that about somebody. And I don't like how suddenly if we don't agree with the other side, we shut them down. Like we're seeing that from the left now, shutting voices down. We were just talking about before we got on about, about being banned and censored. Um, do you think the right has learned their lesson about censorship? Because 20 years ago, the right were, were the people doing the censorship. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't, I have no idea uh, if people have learned or not. I think the right has issues as well because you know, as soon as a liberal does something and we all, you know, not all of us, but some of us are for, for censorship and then we're against censorship, you know, and, and you know, it's all bullcrap to me to think the bottom line is this. You say what you feel. We should respect other people's opinions. I don't agree with leftists. I don't agree with people who are don't believe in God. I, I don't agree with them, but I don't it ain't my priority to convince you of something. I'd say what I feel. You say what you feel. You don't like what I say on my channel. Don't watch my channel. Make your own channel. Yeah. And you say whatever you want. I won't come on your channel to say nothing. You don't come on, say nothing to me. And if you come to say something to me, just know I'm going to respond. So at the end of the day, all this censorship is people being afraid to have conversations because they know their arguments suck. With me, I, yes. I, I welcome debate. If somebody disagree with me, come on, because maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I yeah. can learn something. But at the end of the day. I, like, like, for instance, you know, homosexuality, I'm not really, a, I don't believe in it. I believe in the Bible. I think it's a sin. However, you ain't never going to see me out here protesting somebody's lifestyle. You can sleep with who you want. We live in America. You ain't never going to hear me trying to tell people what to do with their life. If you ask me right. my opinion, I'll give it. Other than that, I don't care what a person does in their own personal life. I think everybody should be that way. Yeah. Well, when you say something like that, you sound like a right leaning libertarian more so than a conservative. You you want to let people live as they choose to live, regardless of whether or not they agree with how you live. For the most that's, part. And that's yeah. for the most part. Yeah. I think that where I, become, where I become conservative is that I don't believe everybody, uh, all drugs should be legal. Right. And yes. so everybody can smoke that. methamphetamine all day long because it has 
residual effects on other people. So, but for the most part, I'm, I'm, I treat people the way I want to be treated. It's, it's really that simple in my opinion, but um, you know, if for some reason America can't get with the program. Yeah. The, the silencing of speech is, I think it's the biggest danger to America right now. Like what Joe Rogan's podcast, you know, they're trying, they're trying to shut that down rather than they're trying to shut it down because they don't have arguments against the doctors that are going on there. Like if they had a good argument, they'd send Fauci over to Rogan and let Fauci go on there for three hours, but they know he's got nothing. So they have to shut down the speech. And when you shut down speech, number one, you don't, you don't get rid of that opinion. You make more people curious in it. So it's ineffective and dangerous. What they said. Go ahead. No, no. I I, I was going to bring up you. I like, I, I saw an interview with you where you stopped listening to rap music right now. I respect a man uh, with some principles. That's a principle. Like it bothered you and you're going to stop listening. I could never give up music. It's too important to me, but I respect that. And you made the, the choice that you don't want that in your life, but you're not trying to get out there and say, nobody can listen to rap music, right? Yeah. I mean, my thing is that if you, my son, I'll tell him you ain't listening to that stuff. Uh, if a young man asks me my opinion or somebody wanted to say, what do you think is a valuable lesson to young people is don't put destructive stuff into your mind it ain't really yeah. the it's not really the rap music because if you have a rap song that's that's speaking truth or, or saying something that's that's a valuable to creating positivity in your life or, or informing you about something that makes sense but you saying killer in this killer in that i shoot dudes i'm hitting women from the back you know you all, all this stuff you're promoting stuff yeah. that i don't think young men should be entering into their minds because then it creates this delusion and creates brainwashing to where now young men view women in a very derogatory way or you think about killing your brother or sister because you hyped up on this music and it's all fake these dudes yeah. aren't really thugging like they say they are. The ones that are no. really thugging are dead or they in jail. <laughs> and so I think that it's destructive on the new modern way of this gangster rap stuff. I'm not saying the genre is bad. You know, yeah. I'm saying be mindful of the things that you interject into your mind because that's what you're going to become. Yeah. Uh, expression is important. Art is important. But you're right. Like it, young people's minds, they're affected by by what goes in there. There's there's no doubt they're affected by the friends they hang out with. They're, they're influenced by their parents and they're influenced by the entertainment they consume. I've seen it with my with my own kids. How old is your is your son? He's 11. He's 11. OK, yeah, he's about the same age as my son. So especially at that age. Uh, you become less and less of an influence in their life as their friends become more and more of an influence in your life. So you got to, you like, you got to get the right ethics and decision-making into their brain, you know, from like go till about 12 and then hope they start making good decisions on their own. So I, I, I respect what you're doing. Uh, when, when you take a stand like that, most people are unwilling to sacrifice anything. We've, we've seen that in the last two years. Like so many people are unhappy with all these, all the COVID nonsense, all the mandates, but the majority of those people who are unhappy are unwilling to speak out about it. They're unwilling to risk anything personal. You got it. You got to be willing to risk, risk something to get something. Well, I, I look at it like this, you know, when I made the statement about rap music, it ain't got nothing to do with nobody but myself. And, and I learned that I was going down the wrong path by listening to it. I was, I had gold teeth in my mouth. I got young savage tattooed across my stomach. Like I was really, oh, really? I was really getting into that gangster lifestyle. I had a terrible attitude. I'll fight anybody to say something crazy to me. And it was taking me down a bad path. And when I stopped listening to that drama 
and people talking about killing and don't let it end, disrespect you. It, it, it really, I started to change the way I perceive the world and the way I treat other people and the way I think of myself. And so really when I make the statement of I quit listening to rap me, it was because of what it was doing to me. And, you know, any psychologist will, anybody with a connected brainstem will understand that what you entertain the most is what's going to affect you the most. If you sit around and, you, and just you tell yourself, you look in the mirror and say, I want to kill myself every day. You know, eventually, man, you're going to have a negative perception of yourself and you may actually want to go through with it. You know, if you tell yourself yeah. positive things, um, you you're going to view uh, the world through a positive lens. It doesn't matter what's going on in the world. You're going to see it through a lens that's more positive. Yeah. Power of positive thinking. That's something my grandfather raised me with. It's it's powerful. Uh, you said a couple of times in there and right. You're 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 not saying in the word. Now, I used to co-host this show with a buddy of mine who was who was a black guy and this is a conversation we always had about the use of the n word, you know, like and why can the I understand the black community has taken the word back to take the power out right. of it, take the sting out of it. I get that. But isn't it degrading upon yourself to use that word no matter how you're using it? Like how do you feel about the personal use of that word? Well, black people haven't taken it back to take a sting out. That's just bull crap. Because as soon as a white person said, they mad. You know what I'm saying? So it, it, the sting would be you don't care if anybody said because you you really have the ownership of it, the power of it. You know, it's just it's just a lie, man. Let me tell you something. I think ignorant black folks used to use that word back in the day in a derogatory manner, in a flattering manner. They were ignorant. I guarantee you Martin Luther King wasn't using that word. I guarantee you Booker T. Washington wasn't using that word. Where any of these leaders, W.E.B. Du Bois, uh, none of these people were using that word. People that really grew up where that word was so, such a hateful, evil, had a, a hateful and evil connotation to it. Ignorant black folks used it. And then it became trendy. And now everybody uses it. When I was growing up, I used it every word out of my mouth was in this, in that, in that. As a grown up, as a responsible adult, in my opinion, a father, I don't use that word because I don't want my son walking around saying that word because I think it's ignorant. For instance, are you going to a person going to get up and do a speech before the American people in, in the office of president and say the N word? No, they're not. Are you going to go to a job interview and drop the N word in a job interview? No, you're not. As the CEO of a major Fortune 500 company or a publicly traded company that's worth billions, are you going to drop the N word? No, you're not. So if you're not going to do that in a professional sense because of the connotation that it has, then why would you do it in your personal life? Now, I'm not going to act like I'm holier than thou. My friends still say the N word when I'm around him. And, you know, sometimes I, I may say it with him um, and, and I have to correct myself because I think it's wrong. And I think black people really shouldn't say that word. However, I grew up saying it since I was born. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. As soon as I could talk, I was saying the N word. So it, it takes effort to avoid uh, using that word at all, as especially as a black man. Yeah, uh, that's interesting. So you don't you don't even buy the argument that they, they took the word back, they reclaimed it. Because that's a good point. If a white person does use it, an Asian person, if anybody else uses it, they still get fired up. So where do you think... How did that how did that get into popular culture for black America? Well, because I think that our popularity or our leaders begin to change. And I would say around the 60s, uh, around the 60s, we begin to change who we thought was would be a positive leader. Some of these rappers and athletes and money and fame begin to be more of a popular thing that young people aspire to be versus intellect, you know, people with 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 um courage, integrity, because mm -hmm. Martin Luther King today, we have plenty of people 
that's like a Martin Luther King today. We have plenty of black men who are upstanding citizens, who are pastors, who believe yeah. in God, who speak truth and, and all these different things. And they're not put on a pedestal. Like and, the and nobody know who yeah. they are. Nobody know who Thomas Sowell is. You know, yeah. I do. Oh, he's the um, best. That nobody the best. knows. People don't even really know who um, I, I, I forget his name now. Um, it's going to come. Ben Carson. People. Right. You could tell a young black man today, you know, who Ben Carson is Ben Carson is probably one of the smartest people to ever live. Yeah. He's the first of uh, to ever do what he's done, yeah. um, you know, separating conjoined twins at the head. Nobody's ever done that before. But young black people don't know who he is, but they know who Waka Flocka is and Drake. Yeah. And, <laughs> and they know all the NBA players and stuff. So I'm not here to just really bash and criticize them. But I'm saying that's a problem when the intellects amongst African-Americans, most young people have no idea who they are. But the thugs and, and the hip hop artists amongst us are the ones that get the most attention or are the most popular. So the degenerate used the N word and glorified the N word and they became popular and it became trendy. And I think that's how it, it got to the main. Yeah, you, you make a, a really interesting point because, um, you know, Ben Carson, he's a conservative and Democrats will talk all day long about race issues. But if if a black man excels and he's a conservative, they don't prop that man up. They beat him down and they call him the black face of white supremacy. Yeah. They hate Ben Carson. They, they there's nothing they hate more than a black man who is a conservative because they see it as playing on the other team, which makes no sense. You know, they do it to Ben Carson. They do it to you. Who's the who's the girl? Candace Owen. They they crush her. They don't hate anybody more than her. Um, why do so, why do you, in your opinion, so you, you helped to start Blexit, uh, why do you think so many black people just blindly follow the democratic party, which is clearly not been good for the community? Yeah, I want to say that it's through mass manipulation and, and an intent by the government, by the media to play on the emotions of black people. I, I personally think that black people are very emotional. And emotions can lead you in a positive or negative direction, depending on, you know, kind of what the situation is, because emotionally black people have been through a lot in this country and have overcome a lot. So they become a, a, a lot more vocal, a lot more passionate about certain issues. They become emotional. And then if you play your emotions too much, a person can trick you into letting your emotions destroy you because now they say, oh, they're emotional about what uh, uh, slavery, emotional about lynching. I remember when I was in college and we studied lynching and, and I was emotional. Like I, I, I was mad at white people. I really had a disdain for white people that I had to overcome. Yeah. But I was upset about that. It made me emotional thinking about black people, ancestors, my ancestors, the people that look like me hanging from trees. Understandable. So without all of the full context, it made me emotional. Now, what people in politics and media and what they do is they say, how can I use what that man felt? to my advantage. Right. So if I keep talking about slavery, if I keep talking about lynching, he's going to get emotional. Yes. And if I say, yeah, that person is the one that did it to you. Now my emotions and hatred is going to be towards that person. And they go, so you know, we, we acknowledge what we did wrong. We want to help you become better. We want to help you. They don't. And therefore they have now created an emotional barrier between truth and the lie that they sell you and they use they get votes that way. And black people have been historically affected by this with the welfare state and all of the above. We've been susceptible to it. Yeah. Hip hop music. I mean, all of the degenerate things that have crept through a prominent, successful black culture 
has now influenced us in a negative way. And, and that's why we see the problems we see today. Yeah. I, I mean, I worked for 15 years in inner city LA and Compton and Watson in these, these very, uh, poor communities. And I saw firsthand the effects of what like programs like welfare did. They just, they ripped those communities apart. They're, they're garbage, but you, okay. So segregation, this is an amazing trick when you talk about bringing on the, the getting them emotional and playing on that because segregation was promoted by the democratic South, right? The the Democrats promoted that Uh, the civil war. It was a, a Republican who pulled us out of that. Somehow the Democrats, by uh, giving a few freebies like welfare, have convinced the population that they are pro-black and Republicans are racist. And it's really a clever trick. I'm sure there's racist Republicans. I I know there are. Right. But it's not like it's a a problem sweeping through the party. Uh, It's a clever trick. Oh, 100 percent. I mean, it's like the parent. You have the strict parent and you got a kid. I mean, the, the parent that's friends, you know what I mean? And so when the strict parent does something that's doing it for your good, it may not feel good. You may not like to hear it, but this parent is looking out for your best interest. Yeah. This parent just want to give you what you want to, so you can be happy with yeah. them and it will destroy <laughs> you. And this is what they've done in the black in many of many black communities around the country. They say, oh, we'll give you free handouts. Oh, no, I can't believe those white people did you like that in the past. We'll give you reparations. We'll give you affirmative action. We'll give you everything you need. Come be with us. And that's slowly but surely destroying the moral character and also the the integrity and and and, and I don't know, the, the sense of purpose that black people have. But the Republican Party is saying, no, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You can be whatever you want to be in this country. You've got to work hard. You may have to start here and you will get to the top if you work yeah. hard and you be diligent and you don't, you know, believe in God and all these other things, you know, and that's what the play has been. And that's why the Democrats have won. They have been the party of slavery, racism, Jim Crow. Um, even when the black people got the 13, when they passed the 13, 14, 15 Amendment, the, the right to, you know, the free slaves to give them citizenship and the right to vote. Unanimously, Republicans voted for that. Even the Civil Rights Act. People don't know this, but the Civil Rights Act, the longest filibuster, I believe, in history by Robert Byrd, who uh, Joe Biden did the eulogy of. He was a former Klans member. He filibustered the Civil Rights Act and the Democrats, um, by and large, they weren't voting for the Civil Rights Act. The Republicans unanimously, 80, 90 percent voting for the Civil Rights Act. The Democrats were 30, 20 percent. They were completely lopsided on yeah. their vote in support of the Civil Rights Act. Yeah, they tout yeah, just facts. as being the party of the civil. I mean, I, I posted this on a video I did the other day because I'm like, people ain't going to believe me. I, I shared the voting record of the Civil Rights Act and Republicans unanimously voted for the, the you know, the benefit of black people getting their rights. Uh, mm-hmm. All of these people, uh, Strom, Thur- uh, Strom Thurmond, who was a mentor yeah. to Joe Biden, was a complete racist. He was one of those racist uh, Democrat Dixiecrats um, that became Republican. And so, and they say the party switched. That was a, a big yeah, the party switch. Who switched? Yeah. Like who, who said, yeah. okay, I'm, I'm a, I'm a Democrat, but I'm switching to Republicans. Like nobody switched. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody switched. Like, it's not like all the racists in one party said, Oh, yeah. this party's not racist yeah. anymore. We're going over the other party. That's just yeah. a big myth. There was no switch. I will, I will pay $10,000 to, I would, I would make a $10,000 bet that, 90, 95% of people that you ask, well, what do you mean the party switch? They can't, exp- I would say 98%. They can't explain nothing about anything switching. They will literally say yeah. everybody switched to the Republican party. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be honest. Like 
I knew it was a lie because it doesn't seem like a possibility. But Dinesh Sousa came out with a documentary. Also in the in the documentary, uh, uh, Uncle Tom that I'm involved in, in the documentary, um, Larry Elder explains this. And so there's two kind of concepts of it. But general, uh, the general consensus is that there was Dixiecrats in the South, the racist Democrat Dixiecrats, and two of them became Republicans. It was one in the House, one in the Senate. Some people argue only one of them became a Republican. And then they use that to say they all switched. No, they didn't. All these racist Democrats died racist Democrats. It, it was no yeah. massive switch. Right. All they did was switch their rhetoric. You know what I'm saying? That's all they did. They, they made you think that this party was racist and then they switch it up. And then now they say, oh, no, we've always been a party of the black man. When to, right. even today, they're not the party of the black man. All of no. the dangerous cities that black people live in that are desolate, education is messed up, all run by Democrats. Mm-hmm. What are the What are the odds? Yeah. 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 Now the analogy you made earlier about the parents that, that, I mean, for this show that dad presents as a perfect analogy, uh, any of our listeners will understand that you got the good parent or who just gives the kid, whatever that kid wants, not necessarily the best parent. So, and, and then you talked about affirmative action. Now, 20 years ago, even 15 years ago, I backed affirmative action. It made sense to me. These, these people, uh, they need, they need some help because they were repressed. Let's, let's give them a help to, to, to get out of their bad situation. But now we've seen how how the results of that over time and what it's led to is Asian kids who have been penalized at these schools and they have a harder time getting in, they've just worked that much harder. So they they have to work that much harder to get in and that's what they've done. We've rewarded apathy in a community, you're going to get apathy. Like you're right. incentivizing the wrong things. Well, think about this for a minute. You know, think about a track race. Everybody starts at the same line, right? If you start starting people at the 20, 20 yards ahead, 30, 50 yard line, it's it's completely unfair. And it's obviously unfair. It doesn't benefit the person you put on a 50 yard line. It doesn't benefit them because they cannot retain when the, when the race is longer than a hundred yards. So for, for instance, they, instead of them, and, and my solution to the problem was never affirmative action. I mean, that's what I see now. You know, it's easy in retrospect. Back then, that seemed like probably a great idea. But now looking back, I don't think um, affirmative action, minimum wage, I think none of those were effective in America. They, they're just a Band-Aid. What you should do is say, why are young black men not qualifying or women not qualifying for these schools that provide a better education? Okay, go to the high schools, make sure the education system is balanced and fair at the high school so Mm -hmm. they make enough grades and educated enough to then be able to apply and go forth in some of these universities. What's happening now is that they're just saying, we need 50 black people to be at this university. No matter what your score is, you go in. And then when they get there, they fail. They do not succeed. They're set they, up to fail. They're set up to fail. They are there because of a number, but they're not graduating. They're not excelling. They feel like they would have been better. And, and it, it's not that what they feel. If you look at the statistical data, they may have done better at a different university that may be more aligned with the educational um, excellence that they have. And then they would have graduated and confident and go on to get a, a, a good job. But you don't just hand something, hand something to somebody because no. once they get exposed, once they're out there, I mean, like for instance, just say you had a singing contest and you say, well, I need black people to be in this singing contest. It's like, Well, if you can't sing when everybody <laughs> start, you know, uh, doing the duet or whatever you want to call it, you're going to stick out you're like a sore exposed. thumb. 
Yeah. You're going to yeah. be exposed. They can't help you. No. They can't say because you're black, you can sing. It's like you have to be <laughs> qualified or you're not qualified. Let's help people be qualified. Yeah. Yeah. And like you, you're not going to, that's a, that's a good, and in places where this a person's skill is so clear, like uh, entertainment or sports, you're not going to see affirmative action because it would be so easily exposed. Like sports, if they forced NBA teams to have equal number of white guys, right? The, the product would crumble because the white guys just haven't been as good. So it would be so glaringly obvious that they would not do that. Like merit, you can only reward merit. Then people right. work to achieve to get better. Um, I, I want to I switch gears a little bit to COVID. Have you been paying attention at all to what's going on in Canada with the Freedom Convoy? Yeah, yeah, I've been I've been slightly paying attention. I, I actually have people that work for me that live in Canada. I have two Canadians that work for me, and they have been boots on the ground taking pictures and showing, um, or sending them to me, and they send in our little Slack conversation, and and uh, I've posted it on my on my thing. So I'm getting firsthand information from people in Canada that are saying, "Oh, this is this is a big deal," and these truckers are serious, and the, and the Prime Minister Trudeau is trying to act like it's not a big deal, but it's bigger than what they're saying. It's I huge. mean, this is. This will be a Guinness Book World Record longest convoy in history, um, mm -hmm. especially in Canada. I think in Canada, maybe around the country, I mean, around the world, but it, I think exclusively in Canada. But it's not because they haven't attempted, you know what I'm saying? But this is a this is a pretty significant thing that they're doing in Canada. Good to see. I don't think that that's necessary in America because we we're different. You know, it's a very different country. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's huge. And, you know, it's huge because Trudeau's on TV calling them all racist. So that's, you know, it's amazing to me that that's the only weapon that party has is anything they don't like. They call it racist like that works for a little while because most people are good and they don't want to be called racist because it's the worst thing you can be. So that that narrative works for a little while. But people aren't that dumb. You can't do throw that at everything for five years and expect people not to catch on. I'm really surprised they haven't come up with some other tricks yet. But what I what I want to ask you, you, you already mentioned it, America. Uh, there's already chatter about this happening in America. You don't think it'll happen. You don't think it's necessary. W would you would you support it if it did happen? Yeah, I mean, I, th I don't think it's as exigent as in Canada. I mean, like, that's why I heard rumors that America, they're going to do it in like July. You know what I'm saying? So oh, they're really? not they're not even doing it. You know, now it's not a it's not an apparent thing now. I think some people some there was rumors that they were going to try to do it on the 4th of July you know, something like that, you know, but that's, that's way out. I mean, it's, it's going to be over by that point, but I think the difference between us and Canada Hope and America, it's going to be over. How do you know it's going to be over by then? I mean, I, no, I, no, I'm saying, I'm saying the the vigor and, and all of this stuff that's going on in Canada hmm. could, could potentially matriculate down to America. And then we all are doing it at the same time. I'm, yep. I think Canada will be done with it by the time we do it in July and, and the wave won't be as strong gotcha. in, in my opinion. I mean, who knows what's going to happen? What, what state are you in? I'm in Arizona. Arizona. Okay. So you, you say it, it doesn't seem as necessary here. I get that being that you're in Arizona. If you're in California, like myself or in New York, it's starting to feel necessary. Yeah. Like all, everything has shown that these, these, I'm not, I'm not going to talk, I'm not going to get myself another strike, but yeah. all the evidence has shown that um, the narrative they've given us is a bunch of crap and these mandates are unnecessary yet they're not letting go of the mandates even gavin newsom doesn't believe in them he was just at the ram rams game with magic johnson not wearing a mask with sixty thousand fans yet my kids have to wear a mask in school so he doesn't even believe yeah. it and they're so, not dropping it so it's starting to feel necessary here yeah so as a as a clarification to that point you know uh canada is the size of california is size of one of our states we have 50 states 
And so Canada's issues is similar to what California may be feeling. So when I say the United States, what I'm saying is that in many states, um, people are not feeling what California is feeling, what Oregon is feeling, Washington yeah, State true. and all that. Because in Arizona, it's like nothing is going on. You don't have to wear a mask. You don't have to be. There's no requirement to be vaccinated. You, employees don't have to be vaccinated. There's nothing going on here. Same in Florida, same in Texas and many places in the country, South Dakota. I mean, many of the places in the, in the country have gone to a point where it's more reasonable. Yes. So I can see why it's not a, a country effort that we have. You know, that's why it's not as crazy. But in California, it's as exigent as ever before. In New York City, I mean, I, like, for instance, my oldest son, me and his mom split time together. Uh, we don't split time. I mean, she get she get the school year and I got to get everything else that's left over. So but um, he's in, in Seattle, Washington. And so I, I, always, I wanted to take him out to go to one of the Seattle football games. He liked the Seahawks. You know, I want to get us really good tickets and, and they require a vaccination. And I'm like, I, 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 I'm not doing it. So yeah, guess he got to come here and go to an Arizona Cardinals game because I'm not, I'm not, I'm just not doing it. My son has to wear a master school every day. And, and I tell him, I say, look, you know, if you start feeling some type of way, you can take it off. I, I'll yeah. take the consequences. You know, they'll, they'll come, they'll have to call me. Don't be going in a recess and running around with that thing on and suffocating. If you feel like you're getting dizzy or you feel like it's too much, take it off. Yeah. Let them talk to me about it. And, and, and that's going to be a fun conversation for me, but you know, so I want to clarify that. I don't want people to think that I'm dismissing it. I'm just saying in different parts and different states. No, you're right. You're uh, right. Things things are very different. We're like almost sure different is. countries. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. That, well, that's that. OK, so let's talk about that, because these these Democratic cities like L.A. and New York, um, that they, they seem lost. Uh, we've been talking about moving. Um, is there hope for these cities or is it time for America to, to think about dividing? No, oh, I think you're 100 percent divided. They, they, can't, they can't go nowhere. They can't go nowhere else. And where's the bottom at? They hit the bottom. The Rams got the Super Bowl game there. Right. And they trying to clean up the homeless and they ain't got nowhere to go. Yeah. What are they going to do? And, and, and this is the thing that's going to pee me off is if they are able to clean up the homeless for the Super Bowl, but they can't do it the year round. It's out of control. So if I was in California, I mean, this is easy for me to say I don't have. I'm not attached to a family unit in California or nothing like that. My wife is from California. Her, her whole family lives in California. So we go to visit them from time to time. But for me, I told my wife, no, we need to leave. There's mm -hmm. no way as an entrepreneur that we're going to live in California. Pay no, these crazy amounts of taxes. Mm -hmm. There's no way. There's no way when I can go I, one state over and, and three times my money go three times as far. Man, I didn't know. I, I built a business from scratch. I sold it in 2018 by the, for a good amount of money. I thought I was going to be retiring for good. By the time California gets done with you, I'm right back to work. It's it's absolutely it's impossible. Um, we're running out of time. I, I appreciate you coming on. I want to ask you about your your book, uh, Beating Black and Blue. How was it received? Oh yeah, a lot of uh, a lot of people. I'm getting really, really good reviews. If you go on Amazon, you can look at the reviews. Most of them are five stars, and people are just you know, most of the things that I read is people saying it's readable, it's relatable, it's down to earth. You know, I'm I'm not trying to be a, a you know a Jordan Peterson or something and get all these big words that confuse you. It's very straightforward. You know, I literally write like I talk, so people yeah. can understand what I'm saying. And, and, and I think it gives insight into policing. I tell the story of how I became a police officer from growing up in the hood and doing all that crazy stuff. Like I said, I got tats and I used to have gold teeth in my mouth. I got my hood tattooed on my forearms. 
um, how I went for that to becoming a police officer. And then I interviewed five of the police officers who are currently law enforcement officers, some black, some white. Uh, one was actually the guy who uh, led me to becoming a police officer. I did a ride along with Officer Sean Payne. So I, I, I let them give a synopsis of what their experiences are so people mm-hmm. can get a diverse perspective because I'm one person working in Tucson. You know, we have uh, officers working in California, another one working in, in, in the Valley in Arizona, uh, some, some working all over the country. And so I wanted to interview them to get a take so people can kind of see what police officers are going through. And then I debunk all the other stuff, right? The, the police came from slave patrols, debunked. Um, what what is uh, defunding the police look like? You know, what, I mean? what does it really look like? Not the not the myth that they try to sell yeah. you. Uh, I, okay, is, so yeah, go ahead. I, I do want to ask you about that. So my my former co-host, he's the uh, he's the son of Los Angeles's first black police chief. He's a Democrat, very pro police. Obviously, um, talk about defund the police. I, I first of all, I ordered your book as soon as you agreed to come on the show. It hasn't come yet. Freaking supply chain, but I am going to read it. I'm sure it's great. Um, I actually do support defund the police, but in a different way. I would like to see policing become privatized because government fucks everything up and and policing could be better if it was managed privately. If defund the police was um, put out there in that way, not not necessarily defunding police, defunding government and letting policing become privatized. Is that something that you think uh, conservatives could latch on to? Yeah, that's a very interesting concept, man. I can't say I, I I completely disagree with you to a certain degree. You know, like some of these small cities are it's just that I worry about accountability with privatization. You know, you, you're like, OK, who owns this place? Is there going to be accountability because are they violating people's constitutional rights? Or, you know, are their civil rights being violated or is their training universally acceptable? Or do we have these private police departments doing all kind of stuff, whatever, whatever way they want to do it? I think that case law and stuff, you know, stimulates the standard for policing that is governing, that, that are that are that's governed by the government, if that yeah. makes sense. When you go to the court of law, the Supreme Court, some of the case law that has come out that have give, given guidance to the government system of law enforcement. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I do think maybe in some cases we can privatize. Maybe in some cases they probably should privatize. Uh, to a certain degree, I definitely believe it shouldn't be federalized. Um, yeah, that would oh, no, be that's dangerous. The biggest yeah. terror, but um, I think that to be honest, I think the system of policing as we know it um, is good. It should be funded, in my opinion. I think they need to allocate more funds to effective policing, not funds uh, to, to inclusion and research and implicit bias policing and all that, all that crazy better, stuff. Better training and better, better pay to, to better, attract better quality people. Better training. Mm-hmm. Police. I was a cop. I was on the SWAT team. Police need better train, more train, more yeah. access to training, more no quality training, man. I mean, no I, doubt. I was on the SWAT team, so I had a lot of training. But as, as an average police officer, you, what you qualify to shoot your gun once a year. I mean, some police officers can't even some police departments can't afford to get um, actual um, training from simunition, force on force training and, and stuff like that. They they don't have access to that. So yeah. we want our police to do better. We need to train them better. We need to have a, a higher standard for them. We need to hire better police officers and pay them more. It's Absolutely. that simple. And you will get a better product. I do agree with those things. I do agree with those things. But I also think that police need to be spending more time policing like violent crimes. Like that's what police are for, to protect us, not not chasing us down the freeway to give us tickets. You know? Well, well, I'll push back on that just a little bit. And I think that you, you're coming from a good place. The difference is, is, is people may not understand how all of this comes together. Right. I mean, I don't think that generally speaking, 
people get pulled over often on traffic. However, a lot of criminals get caught through the enforcement of traffic laws. Um, so I think that it may feel like police are focusing a lot on pulling people over on traffic on the freeway. Um, but here's here's the way I can dice it up for you to make it make more sense. This highway patrol, they only do traffic on the freeway. Municipal police don't do traffic on the freeway. They answer calls for service. So these are two different agencies. So if the municipal police were on the freeway pulling people over, then we could argue that, okay, that's unnecessary. You need to be in the city, in the south side of Chicago doing your job. But Mm. these are different agencies. So you got highway patrol, you got the municipal uh, police, and then you got the county. And all of this kind of worked together. In the city, pulling traffic. When I was a police officer, it's how we catch people wanted for murder, how we catch people who got drugs in the that car. And, and all of that kind of comes together. It is it does feel like an inconvenience for a citizen who's just like, OK, I was going over the speed limit. What's the big deal? But in when you look at the grand scheme of things, you look at a 24 hour shift where officers are working around the clock. A lot of people that get pulled over are people that we catch before they commit a homicide. Okay. That makes sense. Stuff hadn't, like that. hadn't thought about it that way. That makes sense. It's a fair point. Um, you're you're fascinating. I love your show. I could I could talk to you for another hour. Uh, tell tell people where they can follow you, where they can hear more about you. What do you, what do you want to put out there? Awesome. I'll make it very simple for everybody. The Officer Tatum. T H E OfficerTatum.com is where you can find everything I do. I have a podcast. I have a YouTube channel. Um, I do it all. Got a merch store. If you're interested in in patriotic products and stuff like that, I have it all. You can find it all in one central location at uh, theofficertatum.com. Yeah, guys, the the if you like this show, you will love his podcast. It's great. Please check it out. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, I'd love to have you back in six months or so and and talk about how how all this is working out. Appreciate Any, you. Anytime, brother. You just let me know. God bless you. Thank you.